Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the LA Angels 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And uh, Josh Naylor does it again. Unfrickin' believable. We're jumping right into it because three games in a row now, he has hit a go-ahead home run in the eighth inning. Friday night, it doesn't work out in our favor. Uh, Saturday, it does. And uh, on this Sunday game, it's a big enough home run, a three-run home run this time, and allows us to pad that lead and, you know, definitely some insurance runs in there. And uh, we're able to... uh, Stave off a ninth inning rally by the Angels and hang on to win this thing four to three. So, I mean, what can be said about Josh Naylor? The fact that it was the bottom of the eighth inning in all three games as well. And uh, let's take a look at the pitch he got here that he hit off off of Carlos Estevez. Uh, threw him two changeups. I I uh I didn't expect this actually. I expected this to be a fastball. I knew it was an inside pitch because I I believe all three. Uh, I guess if I really wanted to, I could pull them all up. But uh, I believe all three pitches were inside pitches. They kept coming inside on Josh Naylor, and he made him pay. Uh, misses off the plate with the changeup for ball one. Comes back at the same height, a little bit below the belt. Inside edge of the plate, inside half of the plate, and he turns on at 103.1 mile per hour exit velocity, 27 degree launch angle, 360 out to right field for the three run home run. Would have been a home run in 22 out of 30 ballparks. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I can't believe it's just mind blowing that it happened in the exact same inning every game. Right, it's one thing for a guy to be hot, but to do it in the exact same way every game is so unique. It's so bizarre. And looking at his numbers, uh, you know, Naylor's numbers are unique, are kind of bizarre on their own. As far as Statcast is concerned, he's ranked high in many of the percentile rankings. Expected weighted on base, hard uh, 74th percentile. Hard hit percentage, 74th percentile. Expected batting average, 80th percentile. Expected slugging, 84th. However, however, and this one's weird too. His whiff rate is the 77th percentile, but his chase rate is the 7th. So he will go outside of the zone and chase, but he'll at least make contact with it. Uh, defensively, been very good this year. 97th percentile in outs above average. I think, yeah, he's passed the eye test at first base. He, he definitely can pick it at first base. So, yeah, so those percentile rankings are, it's all red. It's a lot of red, except for the chase rate and sprint speed, which, look, <laughs> nobody's expecting Josh Naylor to win any foot races. However, can't steal a base. If you're not paying attention, he will steal a base on you. Um but outs above average are really red, uh, obviously, at the top there. And everything else, offensively, it's a lot of red numbers, which is good. That's what you want to see. But then when you actually look at his numbers for the year, he's hitting 214. He's got a 660 OPS. It's not It's not great. It's not great numbers. Uh, now he's up to six home runs, so that's kind of nice. Uh, but, yeah, he's, I mean... His batting average isn't really anything to be impressed with. Uh, 
it's not been his best offensive season, and yet he ranks pretty high in a lot of these statistical categories, at least these rankings on StatCast. Now, Naylor, uh, I hate that baseball reference doesn't update their stuff very fast. I mean, this game happened at 11.35 this morning. Baseball reference has had plenty of time to refresh Josh Naylor's page, but I'm telling you the home run from today isn't in there. But by inning this season, uh, once this home run is calculated in, the eighth inning will be his best season, our best inning of the entire season. So if you're looking for someone to come up in the eighth inning, it is definitely uh, Josh Naylor at this point. Uh, the Angels are also the opponent that he has punished the most. Uh, before this home run was added in, uh, he was slugging over 1,000, had an 1,800 OPS, Add this home run in, and I'm sure those numbers are only going to go up against the Angels. Now, how does this compare to his career? Is this just 2023 magic from Josh Naylor, or is there something more to it? Well, looking at his career splits, he actually, the eighth inning, is it's a good inning for him. Uh, actually, everything late in the game uh, is kind of a good inning for him. Uh, in the eighth inning, he's got an... So, one through seven... Uh, he's got a OPS in the 700s and the 600s from the middle of the game. Uh, he's sitting in the 600s for his career. In the eighth inning is when things start to jump for Josh Naylor. Uh, got an 830 OPS in the eighth inning. Got a 966 OPS in the ninth inning. And in extra innings, obviously limited at bats compared to his entire career, he's got a 1,000 OPS. Even though it's only a 200 batting average, he has slugged and hit a couple of home runs and uh, has got a thousand OPS uh, for his uh, four extra innings. So uh, it's five walks to one strikeout too. I wonder. I wonder. None of those are intentional. Uh, four of those are intentional walks. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Four out of the five walks are intentional walks. So that definitely would help boost uh, your OPS there. But yeah, he he turns it on. Maybe we should look at slugging. Uh, four eighty. Uh, is his high and the eighth inning is his highest slugging up until that point. Uh, 595 uh, in the ninth inning, he slugs and he slugs 600 in extra innings. So it's not just the intentional walks late in the game. Uh, he's slugging too. So, yeah, this is a thing for Naylor. Now, the Angels aren't really a team that he owns. Um, he's only got a 229 batting average against the Angels for his career, only a 775 OPS. Again, these numbers not factored in. So it's not like he owns the Angels for his career, but uh, he does tend to own late game situations. Eighth, ninth, extra innings. He's definitely a guy kind of one up. So Josh Naylor is a bit of an enigma, and I'm sure he's like that for the other teams that are facing him. But uh, he delivers, honestly, one of the funnest weekends uh, in Cleveland baseball memory. Uh, I've never seen a weekend like this where someone just delivers in the big moment three nights and day three three games in a row and uh yeah i mean i mean in, in 10 years is anyone going to be talking about this weekend no but uh we'll remember we'll every time we hear josh Naylor's name we'll, we'll flash back to this moment i remember that time he went absolutely nuclear against the la angels so a huge moment there from josh naylor it was a 1-1 game it was actually a one nothing game going into that eighth inning uh, because Tanner Bybee and uh, his opponent on the other side, his former 
teammate in high school, Patrick Sandoval. Uh, they were just dueling against each other. Both, both, it's pretty incredible. Both go seven and two-thirds innings. Sandoval gives up five hits. Bibby only two hits. Sandoval gives up three runs to earn. Bybee only the one run. Uh, one walk for Sandoval, no walks for Bybee, five strikeouts for Sandoval, seven strikeouts for Bybee, uh, on both through 98 pitches, again, weird, both have ERAs on the season of 322, weird, uh, Sandoval gave up way more hard hit stuff, though, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hard hit balls given up by Sandoval were only five for Tanner Bybee on the other side, so, they were both doing it in their own ways. Frankly, Bybee was challenging a lot in the strike zone. Where Sandoval was using that slider down and out of the strike zone uh, to get a lot of swing and miss. When we look at just the swing strike pitches, uh, for Sandoval, it's a ton of sliders uh, down to his glove side. And most of these are to left-handed batters. There's a few backdoor sliders to the uh, righties, but most of these are to left-handed batters. When we look at Tanner Bybee on the other side, a lot of his swinging strikes come from stuff in the strike zone. He really was just challenging in the strike zone all game. And it makes even more sense when we see his strikeouts. Remember, he led the way with seven strikeouts, where Sandoval only racks up five. And most of Bybee's strikeouts are either in the strike zone or really, really dancing around the black edges of the strike zone. Um, he's got, uh, Otani twice on changeups down, uh, and inside left on left matchup there, uh, down and in changeups that he gets a one for a called strike that locks him up in the fourth inning. And then in the seventh inning, it's a foul tip into the catcher's mitt and gets him out in the seventh via strikeout, both changeups down. He gets, uh, Mickey Moniak on changeups, uh, to the glove side. Uh, one was swing. They were both swinging strikes. And then he challenges Renfro with a fastball in the sixth inning for a swinging strike. Drury in the second inning locks him up with a slider uh, that he drops in at the top of the zone. And then uh, Thice, uh, Matt Thice, uh, in the second inning blows him away on a 1-2 count with a 96.2 mile per hour fastball. So it's, it's a lot of stuff in the strike zone from Bybee. Uh, but it's a much better start. It's a one. It's an amazing bounce back start after his last start against Detroit, which was a real struggle to get through. So Sandoval's CSW numbers look a little bit stronger uh, on that slider. He got 12 whiffs plus five called strikes. It's good for a 40% CSW on that pitch, a 31 total percent CSW total on the day. Didn't really get much whiff from anything else uh, other than that slider. Whereas on the other side, Bybee, it was his fastball. Uh, it's got a 30% CSW, seven whiffs, nine called strikes. But the changeup was also very effective. Uh, five whiffs, four called strikes on a pitch. He threw about half as many as the fastball. Uh, it had a 39% CSW. So they both have 31% CSWs total on the day. Just bizarre how much uh, they match up like that. So... Uh, Bybee, I, it, it's interesting because nothing like jumps off the page here that's like, oh, that's the thing he did to be so successful. He just really battled and attacked the strike zone. Uh, they both threw, uh, he threw one more strike 
than Sandoval did. Uh, Sandoval threw 63 strikes. Bybee threw 64 strikes. So I guess they both were attacking a little bit here. But it feels like looking at the illustrator, Bybee lived way more in the zone and was changing speeds, maybe changing eye location eye levels a little bit, but staying in the strike zone and attacking and making the Angels hitters uh, commit to stuff and and swing at pitches that he wanted them to, and it worked. I mean, he goes into the fifth inning holding a uh, no-hitter before finally giving up a hit to Taylor Ward to kick things off in that fifth inning. So clearly something was working to go through four uh, no-hit innings of baseball. Uh, but just mixing it up, like the first inning is a perfect example. Strikes out the leadoff hitter, ground out to Otani, and then Renfro flies out. Now, it's worth pointing out that Trout and Rendon both weren't in the lineup for the Angels, so they were missing some key pieces at the top of that lineup. But it doesn't, I don't think it diminishes the fact that Bybee was just absolutely out there dealing. So uh, it's good stuff from Tanner Bybee, a great bounce back for him. And then to go that deep in the game. Uh, to go into the eighth inning, Karinchek has to come uh, and get him out of things. He uh, he has to face Trout, who's pinch hitting, and uh, Karinchek gets out of that sticky situation. This is after Bybee gives up a run on a, a weird play, uh, you know, with two runners on. Um, Gio Urshela flies into a force out, flies out to right field. Brennan eh, looks like he takes a bad route, but then they're also talking about how the wind was knocking everything down um, a little bit on the broadcast. But it still felt like Brennan took a little bit of a bad route to this. If a more aggressive, uh, straight-ahead approach, probably he comes up with this. Maybe a sliding catch, but he probably can come up with the catch. Instead, he decides to play it safe, lets it hop, and gets the throw in a second where they force out the runner who... I was stuck in no man's land. Like, what are you going to do? It looks like that fielder is going to come in and make that catch. And then he pulls up at the last second. It really leaves that runner heading the second out to dry. So they get out of it uh, that way. That that out would be the end for Bybee. He would turn things over to Karinczak to face Trout. Trout would hit one into center field. He would hit one hard. Um, man, that guy does not mess around with a bat in his hands. 103.5 mile per hour fly out. Uh, it had an 870 expected batting average, but it ends the inning and ends the rally for the Angels. And then the Guardians answer back. Uh, straw with a leadoff single. This is the moment, the controversial moment that if Naylor doesn't hit this home run, this is what everyone on Guardians Twitter is talking about. But since Naylor hit the home run, it wipes away everything that kind of happened before it. But Quan laid down a sack bunt to get Straw up to second. And... It's interesting from a team that wants to steal and take extra bases. You think they might go to the steal in that situation to get straw up the second, take advantage of those bigger bases, give it a shot. But instead, they trust Quan to get a bunt down. Ahmed Rosario would ground out. Someone pointed out this probably would have been a double play if uh, if Straw wasn't standing on second base already. Uh, but you'd be in the exact same situation you're in. And then Naylor comes up. And gets that big home run. And the place is rocking. Bell would single after him, but Jimenez would fly out to end the eighth. And you're like, yes, the big hit, the big freaking hit. I know they don't talk about home runs in the clubhouse, in the managers' meetings, and things like that. But you know, in the back of their minds, the players are still excited about hitting home runs. Like you you could see the energy flowing off the bench when they hit a home run. And it is, it's it's a 
big difference maker. It's like landing a haymaker in boxing. Like it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a big impact uh, to the game to hit that home run. So it's a beautiful moment from Naylor. And then uh, three uh, base hits in a row has Kase really worried, really looking shaky in that ninth inning. A double and then back-to-back singles by Moniak and Otani. They're going first to third on us. And then uh, Renfo would strike out. That's big. Taylor Ward hits into a fielder's choice. You can live with it. And then he uh, forces out Brandon Drury, gets him to ground out. So he works out of it, but Kase... At the end of the day, he's a closer, and I'm sure he goes into every game with that closer mentality of, I don't care what happened the day before. Hey, I got the save. Cool. I'm going to focus on today's problems. So uh, hopefully this doesn't become a trend for Classe. His velocity is does seem to be back a little bit. Um, you know, Going over to his player breakdown page, uh, he maxed out at 99.5 on the cutter, averaged 98.4. That's nice. It's uh, four, uh, four tenths of a point mile per hour faster than his yearly average. So he is gaining some strength back and uh, getting, I don't know where he lost it from, but the fastball wasn't hitting really this 99, 100 miles per hour earlier in the season. He was sitting more, what, like 95, 96 maybe you'd say? And yeah, that can be a big difference when you're a relief pitcher, when you're a two-pitch pitcher, and you're relying on that separation of velocity to really... uh, you know, work to your advantage. So uh, a good job by Kase of escaping and getting out of it and the Guardians walk away with the win. So it's really nice to uh, to beat a team not in our division, uh, to take the series from the Angels. Uh, the Guardians do score early in the game. We didn't talk about it, but um, they're able to put something together in the second inning. They actually score on a fielding error. So they get a little lucky here. Brennan gets a little lucky, and the run comes in to score. Otherwise, they would have stranded another runner out there for an entire inning, which would have been tough. Um, so, yeah, so uh, the Guardians are able to get something done in that second inning at least, and then they they sit on it, and Bybee just goes to work. And I don't understand how it doesn't give the guys energy, right? How How the starter just absolutely dealing, just flying through innings, doesn't give our offense any boost, it seems, because they were pretty stagnant until that eighth inning, and then suddenly it's a tie game, and everyone in the ballpark is awake again, and uh, you need to come through and deliver, and they're absolutely able to in that eighth inning. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. I know it's a big win, and it's a lot of fun stuff and high fives all around, uh, especially for Josh Naylor. MVP on the day definitely goes to Josh Naylor. I mean, absolute force in this series. Hopefully he keeps it rolling. That would be sweet to see um, because he definitely tortured the Chicago White Sox before. uh, So we'll see if he could do it again. But I think you kind of, I mean, he had some of these hits off of left-handers in this series. I I think you got to keep playing them against lefties. I know a a week ago I was railing that you got to get him on the bench, get Arias and Freeman opportunities when a lefty's on the mound. But he seemed to be holding his own against those lefties in this series. So maybe that betting average against lefties will start to climb for Josh Naylor. And Francona will have more confidence in him. All right. The last thing I want to talk about is going to talk a little bit about the catcher's position. Zanino with two more strikeouts on the day. It, it's not been good. It's not been good. For the month of May, 
the Guardian's catching position. Split between two people. Halfway through the month of May, they haven't had a hit. The pair of them since April 29th against the Red Sox. April 29th, the entire month of May so far. Just halfway done. They don't have a hit combined. It's 23 at-bats, 24 plate appearances, but 23 at-bats. He did draw one walk on May 1st. Uh, and 17 strikeouts, 23 at-bats. That's a that's a brutal way to live. I, I'm sorry. That's not enough. We talked about this before with Cam Gallagher, who, by the way, is 0 for 15 with three strikeouts in the month of May. He hasn't had a hit since the Seattle Mariners' second series, the home series against the Mariners. That's the last time he had a hit. That is rough. So that means the Guardians' catching position for the month of May has gone, what's 23 plus 15? You're looking at 38 right there. Uh, 0 for 38 with uh, three strikeouts, 17 strikeouts for Zanino with 20 strikeouts. Oof, over 38 with 20 strikeouts. I'm sorry, that, that person is not on your major league team anymore. And yet, that's what we have at our catching position. So now, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it the other day. Now I kind of do want to talk about it. It is time to call up Bo Naylor. He is raking down at AAA right now. I don't know what his command is. I don't know what blocking the plate is like. I don't know how he's calling games and things like that. If the pitchers really like... Uh, you know, having him do it. Uh, so all that's still to be decided. But as far as hitting the ball goes, uh, yeah, we got to get the other Naylor brother up here and see what he can do at some point very, very soon. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Uh, the catching position is terrible, but Josh Naylor is a freaking hero. Uh, it's just, Man, storylines that last an entire weekend sometimes. Naylor just going off late in games against that Angels bullpen. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. A little bit of a shorter episode, but I just wanted to get these thoughts out real quick uh, tonight, and I'll post it uh, so all of you crazy people that watch it at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., again, assuming you're somewhere else in the world, so it's not 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. where you are, uh, it'll be up there for you to listen to. So, Thanks for joining me again. The final from Cleveland. It's the Guardians 4, the LA Angels 3. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I was shocked not to have any email reactions to the three home runs in a row in the inbox. But go ahead and email in. We got an off day. So take your time. Really craft your email. Uh, you, you got a whole day before we get back to another live episode. Uh, where we go face the White Sox. We'll be back on Tuesday. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on... uh, Actually, I won't be back on Tuesday. I'll be back Wednesday morning uh, after they play the game Tuesday night, where they kick off that series Tuesday night. Uh, Again, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify, so if you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. 